right, we're live. All right, it's good to be here. Live from Boulder. Yeah, it's good to be back. Vantage podcast. Perfect. This is uh, Tom Cordell. Mason Pereira. Let's get into it, baby. Perfect. What do you think? All right, so we have a little bit of a different approach. Um, I'll let Mason explain that. Yeah, well, we got some good feedback from friends, family, listening to the podcast. We have been having so much fun doing it. And uh, some of the feedback that we got was, hey, bring a little bit of structure uh, that you guys seem to love the subject matter, which was awesome. Structure is good. So what we're going to do is we're going to each prepare uh, just an interesting topic that we've done some research on. We don't really know what each other's topics are. So we're going to just have kind of an interesting discussion around something that is cool and unusual, and it should be insightful. And then we're going to have organic conversation that stems off that. So without further ado, we're going to go into the first argument, which is an interesting one. So, and it's not really an argument. It's more of just a fun, entertaining topic. Basically, it's about Ray Kurzweil and Ray Kurzweil's astounding predictions for the future. (laughs) I'm excited to hear what they are. (laughs) They're pretty crazy, man. It's going to be fun. So if you don't know about Ray, in the 70s, Ray developed the first font character recognition system. He taught computers initially for the first time how to read text. So he basically taught computers, hey, this is an A, this is a B, like literally like the fundamentals of computing, right? So he's a purist. So he was like, what can I use this technology for? And at the time he was like, I'm just going to teach computers how to read to blind people. And so he was like, okay, well, what do I have to do? I have to go and I have to teach computers what letters are. And then I have to teach them how to talk. He figured out how to do both. And remember, this was back in the 70s. There wasn't like infrastructure. There was none of this shit. And so he figured out a way to teach computers how to read to blind people, which was really cool. Then the next part of Ray's background is he moved into the music business. So just dovetailed his little bit with teaching computers how to read and and talk into the music business. And he created what is really like the first music that could imitate dozens of instruments so like garage band like he basically taught like computers how to imitate a grand piano or imitate a uh, a flute if you will again that had never been done before he's like a pioneer really 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 smart dude clearly and for a number of years he's been kind of at the forefront of machine learning futurism and thought really since the beginning kind of the forefather of that if you will and then what's great is in 2012 google co-founder larry page approached this guy And was like, hey, you're a pretty smart dude. Can I hire you to head up Google's entire engineering department to build out basically all the software? So (laughs) the two got got together and they agreed um, on a single sentence job description, which just said to bring natural language understanding to Google. That was the goal. I love the simplicity of that. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yeah. So cool guy. But perhaps what he's most known for is the crazy books that he wrote. The Age of Spiritual Machines was one of them. The next is The Singularity is Near. And the third is How to Create a Mind. I would say that The Singularity is probably his most popular and widespread idea. It correct? is. And, and and that did come from him. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I believe it came from yeah. him. Okay. I think that he's kind of at the forefront yeah, of all this. I was stuff. under that impression as well. Yeah, yeah, I think he's kind of the 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 front man of all this like singularity stuff. And, yep. and, and, and in these books, right, he makes 
147 predictions about the future. He wrote these books spanning between the 1990s to the early 2000s. Does he have dates on these predictions? Yes. Wow. He does. And he claims that of his 147 claims that so far he's had an 86% accuracy rate with what happened. That's pretty, that's exceptional. Which when you think about him teaching computers how to, how to. Yeah, he has a deep understanding of the way that all of this works. I mean, being involved at such a fundamental level of computing and the internet and all that good stuff, you would have a very thorough knowledge front to back of how these systems function. And I'm glad you said that because when we get into the predictions, I kind of hope he is wrong because they get weird and yeah. they get crazy and it <laughs> happens fast. Yeah, I mean, things accelerate. Exponential technologies just make things nuts and it's really difficult to predict with the interaction between exponential, exponential technologies. It, it is, and I think that this is going to shed light on some of that because I think we as humans have a hard time understanding exponential growth. Yeah, it's we, we, we like linear things. They're yeah. easy to see, easy to visualize, easy to understand. Yeah, exponential. Uh, understanding the way that exponents work is pretty critical to having a deeper understanding of the way the world around us functions because we do live in an exponential world. We do live in an exponential yeah. world. It's all around us. Do you have yeah. a few examples of things that are exponential? Well, I think that the pandemic was a really good one. For sure. And it yeah. helped us understand. Yeah. yeah, the way that viruses propagate across the population is undoubted. Well, I guess it depends on the virus, but COVID, for example, it, I mean, if it has R not rate of, you know, I think it's if it's greater than one, then it's exponential, I think, is the way that it works. But COVID definitely did move through the population in an exponential manner, yeah. which is a very tangible example of why or how you understand exponential phenomenon and why it's important to understand that, you know, because a lot of people involved with statistics are looking at it and they're like, this thing's inevitable, right? You know, this is going to happen. Right. And then you have people on the street are saying, I don't see anybody coughing. Right. Exactly. It's, it's just, that's just over in China. You There's know, it's one just, case here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's five cases and you guys are freaking out. You right. Know? There's a hundred cases. You guys are going nuts. You right. know, there's a thousand cases and that's like, oh shit, 10,000. Wait, what? Right. <laughs> and the COVID was in a, like a highly contagious disease. And so it was easier to understand it because the rate was fast. Yeah. But the rate of technology is a little bit slower. And so it's very deceptive in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it just takes more time before you have that steep rise of the curve. It'll just kind of hang out and there'll be gradual increases, you know, where, I mean, back in the 70s, you have a guy teaching a computer to read font, you know. Whereas I think that's still pretty cool now. You know, we're not in that different of a world. Exactly. You know? Excluding the internet and the our insane processing power that we're right. capable of now and how much that increases. The world's relatively the same. I mean, you look around, this room wouldn't have been so foreign in 1970. Yeah. I mean, some of this podcasting equipment might have been a little bit weird, but microphones and the table and the couch you're sitting on and the walls and everything, it's... It's not that foreign. Still, still relatively yeah, the same. Yeah, it is pretty much the same. And, I mean, if we're talking, like, audio quality and audio recording, all the recordings, I mean, a lot of the recordings from the 70s are just fantastic. Right. They're as good as anything we can produce now, you know? Right. 
Well, and it is interesting because when you think about like a J curve, right? It always, that slope of change happens fast, very yeah. fast. And I think what Kurzweil's point is, and I hope the takeaway is from this, is that we don't realize how quickly the slope of change is going to increase. And we don't know when it's going to happen either. Well, but he claims he does. Oh, he, he knows when. He claims he does. And I think that it's closer, like his book's called The Singularity is Near. Like yeah. I think that, I mean, he... he That's it, a claim, is near. Yeah, yeah. is near. And, yeah. he, and he says that the singularity happens in 2045. Okay. So that's just a precursor. Sure. Like that's when that happens. Now we we should probably explain what the singularity is for people who may not be familiar with that that notion. Yeah. Well, the singularity. I mean, you might be better at even talking about it than I am, but it's basically saying that that technology at some point is going to surpass human intelligence, and so what ultimately will happen is man and machine will merge. And become almost this like mutant species. Yeah, that the, the merging component of it where two become one. You know, we basically have an extension of our intelligence in the cloud. And then there ceases to be division. Because like if we're merging with the technology, then yeah. like we would be merging with the same system. You know, right. so our minds would all become one. And we would just become this global super intelligence. Right without much distinction, I think, is, is the way that I've yeah. kind of understood it. Granted, I haven't studied this. Yeah, well, and it, it'll be interesting. I'm not, I, I think I agree with everything, just having read into some of this stuff. I think I agree with everything. The, the one thing that might not happen is you might not go into like a singular mind. Well, mm-hmm. you might. We'd have to ask Ray. Yeah. Someday we'll get him on the podcast. But. All right, Ray, you want to jump in? <laughs> You're more than welcome. <laughs> well, let's get into some of these predictions because they're pretty nuts. And I think it's important that everybody is aware of them and particularly around the, the timing of this stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to hear them. I'm, I'm coming into this blind, so I'm, I'm excited to react. And you know, It's pretty crazy. Go so for a little bit of a mental jog. It, it is definitely a mental jog. So we'll start out with Ray's 147 predictions and some are going to be interesting. Some are going to be like, whatever. So 2019 starting there, he says that compute. And again, this is coming. Is, from this, the 1990s. is this happening in 2019? No, this is the nineties. So okay. he's making these predictions long, long ago. Okay. But he's predicting it for the year 2019. 2019. Okay. Cool. Yes. So 2019, he says computers are embedded everywhere in our environment, furniture, jewelry, walls, etc. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I would say I would give that an accuracy score of probably like 80%, mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah, furniture. Uh, do I mean, my, do you consider a bed furniture? Mm, yeah, I do. My, my bed is fully embedded with technology, no pun intended. There you go. But yeah, I mean, sensors, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think I think that... That, that one, I give Jew- it a Jewelry. Check. I mean, you've yeah, got the Apple, Apple watches. Watch. I mean, you've got Aura Ring, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. There's examples. I would say it's not like, it's weird to find something that's not embedded with technology. Yeah. But I would say for almost anything you can think of, there is an example of something that does have technology in it. Like if you wanted to build a home where technology was embedded in everything, then you could do that. You right, know? right. Yeah. Well, and I wonder what he was talking about with walls. Like, was he talking about, like, the nest? Because if it's in the nest, 
I, you know, that's a little piece of technology that's embedded on the wall. So, but I so, don't know. so when was this? 90s? This was in the 90s, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I would yeah. say that's embedded in the walls. I don't know. I think so. Do you, yeah. Computers would be embedded in the walls. I mean, that's the only thing that I can think of. Yeah, we have like optic cables and stuff like that. Yeah, but regardless, I'd give them a check on this one. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, like, like I said, I, I'd probably say about an 80% accurate. Like I'd say it's yeah. 80% accurate. 80% accurate, know? for sure, for sure. Okay, the next one is in 2021, the digital world makes paper books and documents almost completely obsolete. I would say that that is, I would say that's pretty true. In the work that I'm doing, I'm definitely, if we're redesigning a certain area of the company, none of it relies on physical paper right. or books or anything. It's all digital. I would agree with this prediction. I would because, say it's almost absolute, yeah. Yeah. And the reason why I agree with it is because I don't have a printer. Sure. I, I have a printer. I think I used it once. <sighs> I have a shipping label I need to print out and I was pretty happy I had a printer that I needed to print it out with, but, and also sometimes I'll come across an article and be like, I'm going to print this out and read it. But like, I don't need to do that. I, I think use my iPad. The weird thing is, I don't know if I would have agreed with this statement I've like five years it. ago. Okay. Yeah. I'd be like, no, I still print a bunch of stuff out, but yeah. I don't think, I, you know, 2020, this is the prediction. Yeah. I think he's right. Yeah. I think what makes that especially true and I don't know if this is something he considered or thinks or talks about, but the presence of the cloud and the ease of access to all of the documents that you could ever want, I think that's truly what makes physical copies irrelevant or yeah. obsolete, you know? there's Because it's just on demand. It's yeah. like, here it is. It doesn't make sense to carry this stuff around with right. you anymore. It's like, if you're going to have a briefcase, you're going to have a notepad. Oh, I have a notepad. I use a physical, a notepad. I use a physical notepad. And is that because you like to write, like, the act of using your handwriting? I wouldn't say that I particularly enjoy it. Like, if I'm going to sit down and write an essay or something, I'm going to type it, right? Or if I'm going to journal, I'm going to sit there and type it because I, I can think way faster that way. I think it's because it's more expressive for me, and it's mainly used when I'm, like, developing something. Mm. You know, if I'm, like, mapping out ideas it's more and creative. stuff. Yeah, it's more creative. And there's more context with where I write things. So I'm able to like separate pages and stuff like that. And I just remember that like three pages ago, I have a list of like my high level project uh, descriptions or something like that, you know? Right. And I don't know, it works significantly better for me. I would be hindered if I didn't have that. But there is this product that I've been seeing that's been marketed towards me and called Remarkable. Oh yeah. And it's a digital notebook. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I haven't, I haven't bought it or tried it. But I mean, but it could replace that. But it hasn't it very well could. It hasn't gone mainstream yeah, yet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's right on the edge. Right. Well, so an interesting thing for me is, you know, the prediction says twenty twenty one, and just this year, I used to have hand notes, mm -hmm. and just this year, actually, just a couple months ago, I got rid of those, and yeah, I just yeah. use Evernote on my computer, mm -hmm. and I love it, and I'll never go back. Yeah, I used Evernote during college, and I've I've tried a few of them, but the handwritten notes is definitely it's your it's your way. Yeah, for, for now, you know, there there is something about it. There's something about being able to just jot it down. Yeah, and I mean, 
I definitely use notes on my computer. Like I use the text pad a mm -hmm. lot, but I kind of have like specific use cases for those. Right. You know, right. like I'm not going to write out code on my notepad right. or something like that. You know, it's me like, if, like if I'm talking to somebody and they're like, right. you need to do this. I just jot it down quickly and move on. That makes sense. I think the main thing is having context though. But I mean, we're sitting here having the discussion about whether it's obsolete or not. Yeah. You know, yeah, we are discussing, which, which, which definitely says something, you know, so, it, it, it's, it's not like, Oh, that's a crazy prediction, Ray. You know, that's, that's completely not true. It's right. like, Oh, it is, but I have this one case, you know, yeah, it, it, yeah. It, like it's the whole, we're talking about marginal cases. Well, here. We're it's, not talking it's about the exception that proves the rule kind right. of thing, you know? Right. Exactly. Yep. So do we give uh, that a check? I, I give that a check. Yeah, okay. definitely. Okay. All right. So here's the next one. So, by 2026, okay. autonomous vehicles now dominate our roads. I completely agree, 100%. Definitely. I very much have that same framework in my head for when I expect autonomous vehicles to be around. 2026. Sure. Absolutely. Five so years, definitely. I give them a check because I think I agree. The thing is, he says, aut autonomous vehicles now dominate. Our roads. I think they're going to dominate quickly. You know you why I think they're going to dominate quickly? Why? Because I don't think companies are going to insure self oh. or like manually driven cars. I think that once the self-driven cars are an option, the insurance companies, nobody's going to insure it just because the air rates are so tremendously low. It doesn't make sense. That could be. And there might be some companies who do it, but it's going to be tremendously expensive. I mean, people are still going to have their old Mustangs and vintage Porsches and stuff. And that's going to be great. Right. But you're going to pay a fortune right for insurance mm. so and that's not my notion i was told that a couple weeks ago from a guy who was talking to bmw or something like yeah that. yeah no I, I i actually agree with that i think that at some point probably not by 2026 but some point in the future they're gonna regular cars are gonna be outlawed yeah you're not gonna be able to drive them on the roads they'll be like you know a golf cart like you can yeah. take them do you think that any given six-year-old running around right now do you think a six-year-old is going to get their driver's license? Mm, that's a good question. I don't think so. I don't probably think not. so either. Probably not. They'll probably never get their driver's license. Our kids will not get their yeah. driver's license. I mean, they'll probably know how to... So I, the the way that I conceptualize it is it's like horses. Like, if I needed to hop on a horse and ride to Denver for whatever reason, I could do it. Like, yeah. I, know, I know how to ride a horse, you right. know? I feel like it's going to be the same for these kids. You know, they'll be like, yeah, I can drive. You know, I can do it. You're not the most comfortable doing it. You know, you don't really right. have to do it, but you can. And then there's going to be people who have the cars and all that kind of stuff. There's people who have the horses and do the riding and all that kind of stuff, you know, like the enthusiasts. But the general population is just going to be a quick shift. Like this So when you think about the exponential J-curve that we're mm -hmm. talking about, you can see how the slope is increasing. For sure. Because all of a sudden, how long did it take to get, well, we had horses. Yeah. And then how long did it take to replace horses with cars? That was actually extremely quick. I believe that. I, I think that was quick. Yeah, I think that. I think it was literally like a five-year period yeah. or something like but, that. But how long did it take to get there? Oh, I mean. Thousands of years. Yeah. And then. Like the 10,000 years or something like that. The shift happened fast. Yeah. It did happen fast. Well, in the grand scope, for sure. Yeah. It was, say, 10,000 years of horses, 100 years of the automobile. Yeah. And now the self-driving automobile takes precedent. Yeah. And so to bring in a book that we're both familiar with, The Future is Faster Than You Think by Peter Diamandis. He says the next step after that is just going to be virtual, mm. the VR. So instead of actually traveling to the city for him, it'll be just as easy to send 
your avatar basically, which is like a really outdated way to look at it. Right. But it would be more, you just plug into the virtual world and you're able to have a quote unquote face to face meeting that way. Right. And it's just faster, more efficient. And there's no need to hop in a car, have it drive you to the city. You know, I want these guys to be wrong. I really do. Yeah. I think that at a certain point, there's going to be a portion of the population who lives sort of, I guess, in the matrix, you know, yeah. by their own, by their own volition, for sure. Mm-hmm. They're going to choose to do that for one reason or another. And then there's going to be a, you know, population of like street walkers, we'll say. Right. right. <laughs> People who are out in the sunshine, you know, out, you know, hanging out, going on hikes, living in the real world kind of yeah. thing. You yeah. Know? And I mean, shoot, maybe it'll be a privilege to be able to be out in the real world. Yeah. You know, maybe there's just so much work that can be done in the virtual world. He's going to make some predictions that are related to that. Okay. So by late, the late 2020s, creative AI is now capable of making complex art and music. It already is. Yeah. It already is. Yeah. Yeah. That's a check. That's a check in a big way. Definitely a check yeah. for sure. A GPT-3, fascinating. It's AI generated text and it's the most, yeah, it's just fascinating. What is it? Fascinating. So a GPT-3 is just an algorithm for AI generated text. You just give it a prompt and it finishes it. Oh. And it's unbelievable. It's, yeah, I think it came out probably a year ago. And I remember there was a few days where I was just like kind of in a daze by the scale and potential of it all. Really? Yeah. I think that we should have an episode on that specifically. GPT-3. GPT-3. There's So there's also, similar to GPT-3, a tool that I use a lot in my work is a tool called copy.ai. And what it is, is it writes my copy for me. So when I'm building a website, I can say, Hello Gorgeous is a rosé vodka spritzer made with this ingredient, this ingredient, this ingredient. Sure. And it will, I kid you not, I just input like what it is and it can, I can set it for different functions and it can say, I can say, set it for product description and it will write the most wonderfully beautiful copy for me. It will be like dripping with St. Tropez. (laughs) And I'm like, what, how did this thing create this? That sounds like GPT. Yeah. It sounds like what that does. You you give it an essay and it'll just finish it. And it's kind of makes some like very astute points. Yeah. Like, wow, that I, I never thought of that before. It'll make comments on like music and literature and you're like, Oh, that's, that's true. I mean, thanks for alerting me to that. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. You know? So the, the power of these things to help us learn about ourselves is going to enhance the creativity. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, and, and, um, I use those AI tools all the time. Yeah. That's fantastic. So like I have AI tools that help me write emails. So I have a plugin oh, on no my way. Chrome. Yeah. Huh. And I can write a sentence and it's cool. Cause this one, the, the one that I have on Chrome, it's not copy.ai. It's a different one. It's an Israeli company, but what it, what it does is I type something and then it will give me multiple variations of what I was saying, just written in different ways. Sure. Oftentimes just more concise. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> like, thank you. And then it just, it makes me sound better. Wow. So I've got that in all my emails. It's it's kind of like Grammarly. How often do you use that and take I, those recommendations? More often than you'd think, I use it on important emails. So okay. if I'm writing somebody who is like a client or 
I need to ask something or sure. I need to get clarity on something. I'll use it. If I'm just writing, you know, from me to you, I'm not going to use it. But, yeah. But uh, yeah, I feel like it's becoming increasingly true that the quality of your work is based on or is dependent upon the quality of your tools. I mean, it probably has been that way for a while, but now it's like if you are using the right tools, you have a significant competitive. And so being able to identify and choose the correct tools is extremely important. That would be such a great segue if we had a sponsor. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and, and speaking of tools. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that would have been great. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Oh, something about the copywriters. Copyright or copywriting. Copywriters are hard to find. You can go on Fiverr or wherever and you're trying to look for some kind of graphic design. Graphic designers are a dime a dozen. You can, they're plentiful they're the online. It's really difficult to find someone to write good copy. Really? Yeah. Well, that's probably why they made this copy. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Because I mean, I'm, I'm definitely going to, Oh, you should. Yeah. I mean, our, our team's for sure going to start using that. <laughs> yeah. No, because it, it, it is, it's magic. Yeah. It's always been a sticking point for us because we just have to sit down and the crazy thing about copywriting is you have to like get in the very specific frame of mind for it. And you have to like put everything down Back like in. an hour and a half. And you have to completely get into this headspace, and then you're able to come up right. with it. And then you go back and the switching costs are enormous. Right. And then you're like, I just spent my whole day writing a couple sentences. Yeah, exactly. And you're, you're like, oh yeah, I use an ampersand instead of the word and and blah, 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 right. blah, and all this kind of stuff. And it's ridiculous. So if you got a program to do that, that would be Dude, huge. This one is magic. Like, oh, yeah. I'm very, like, I don't think I've ever thought that technology was magic. Sure. Until this one. And I was like, how did it do that? Yeah. The first time, I remember the first time I thought that technology was magic. When was that? I was in a Verizon store. This was probably like, if I'm going to guess, probably like 2007, maybe something like that. But I'm in a Verizon store and I pick up one of the, one of the smartphones and there is uh, Google Maps, but it's the satellite view. And I'm looking at it on a phone. And it just absolutely, <laughs> one just completely blew my mind. That is pretty cool. It was the craziest thing I'd ever seen. I like zoomed into my neighborhood and I was looking at like the woods. I would go like play around and explore and stuff. And I'm like, I can just see this. Like I have this, sure. this satellite view and it completely blew my mind. It was not something I ever thought would be possible. I was like, this thing can just sit in my pocket. And now we just take it for granted. We're yeah. Like, oh yeah. That's, you don't even think yeah, about how yeah, cool that is. What do you mean? You know, it's like, yeah, I mean, we don't have a full live feed yet with like, well, but the crazy super thing high resolution is really, there's only more magic to be. For had. sure. Like yeah. it's just going to get more and more magic. Yeah, and, I was the, look, and the magic rate is going to increase for sure. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder if you could create a, a sort of a graph. It's like wow moments with technology through time. You get to 2045 and it's like three times a day. You're just completely blown away. <laughs> well, let's keep moving through it because sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. let's uh, just see where this goes. So, so by 2029, okay. it says that VR eyeglasses and headphones are replaced with computer implants. 2029. Okay. I would say that's probably true. I'd Maybe. call that I, aggressive. I, yeah, I would say I'd probably give it a, uh, I don't know. I, I think by 2029, there it will exist. You will be yeah. able to have your Neuralink or whatever. I don't think that we're not going to use headphones then. Right. I, maybe this will be ridiculous to listen back on and it's like. And it's, we're all, <laughs> we've got chips in our brain yeah. and we're like. 
Yeah, I mean, if, if you can hardwire into your sensory processing areas of your brain, then that'd be a pretty cool way to go, I guess. I don't know. I think 2029, it's 2021. Neur- Neuralink was pretty cool. That was pretty freaking wild. It could happen. It could happen because Neuralink does work. Yeah, it's crazy. It could happen. The question would be policy. Like, okay. people are going to freak out about that. And you think that they will say we're not allowed to do that? I don't know. I think like, it's going to be a big I, I feel question. like in areas where there's not existing regulation on it, it'll be difficult to put regulation in place. Right. But if you're trying to transition regulation, like with going from manually driven to self-driving cars, that'll be more of a hurdle. But we don't have mm. language around implants at the moment. But what about, like, the FDA? Like, when you're putting something inside your brain, like, surgically, it just seems kind of like a nightmare from a from a regulatory perspective. From sure. like, f- Is that a food and drug type of thing? Like, Yeah. I, I feel like it'll probably start... Well, see, the thing is, like, I was able to get a, a continuous glucose monitor, which is an implant that measures my blood sugar levels. I wasn't... I mean some doctor somewhere online wrote me a prescription, right? Yeah. But I didn't, I, I don't have diabetes. There is no, like, I didn't go to the hospital and they're like, you need this. I was able to buy it as a consumer because I wanted to understand these things about my body. And that's an implant. It's this little needle ribbon thing that goes into your arm and constantly measures your the blood sugar. So that's interesting. Then, yeah, I would agree with you. It, it comes down to how intrusive yeah. is it? Is it if it's self-administered, then I, I, I could see it. Yeah, I mean, I also did have to have a prescription for it. So okay. I mean, I mean, if we're talking about the regulatory framework, maybe you'll have to have a prescription for this kind of yeah. stuff. I don't know. I think that that's where they're going to be. They're going to be prescribing it yeah. to certain people with disabilities. And disabilities stuff, for sure. Yeah. And twenty twenty nine. Yeah, I mean, I think that it will be if, there if if the deaf can hear. Yeah. And the lame can walk. Yeah. Then. I mean, it's really hard to say no to that. Yeah, exactly. Really hard. And I think that it'll it'll be there by twenty twenty nine. That's I that's where it think, starts. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it'll I don't think that they will get past the regulatory system of the FDA. Yep. And then by the time it gets it'll take a similar trajectory as like cannabis. Like it'll start medical. Sure. And like legal yeah. in certain states or yeah. certain areas. You know? I mean, that's a really good way to gain acceptance for yeah. a new thing. Right. You know? Yeah, Colorado would probably be the first state. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I'd be lining up to get no. implants. I'm, I'm going to let other people try that out first. No. You know, but they'll develop fast. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the 2030s because this is where it starts to get domeless. Like, just blow the lid off. All right. Yeah, let's talk about 2030s. I'm interested. Okay, so there's not as many predictions in the 2030s, at least that I can see. There's a lot of predictions, but 2030s here is more about mind uploading. So okay, a lot of what Ray talks about is he doesn't believe that consciousness is unique to the brain. He believes that you can reverse engineer consciousness. Okay, that's, I feel like I disagree with that. I think I disagree with yeah. that too. I believe that you could reverse engineer a mind but I do have the fundamental belief at this point in time that the mind is separate from consciousness. Right. So I'm just putting that out there before we start diving into I this agree stuff with that because too. 
that that's just where I'm at. And that's going to kind of color my view of all this kind of stuff. I do agree with you and I'm on the same page. That being said, Ray doesn't agree with you. And Ray is a whole hell of a lot smarter. Ray taught <laughs> Ray taught computers how to read. Yeah. Yeah. And he's the head of Google engineering. So yeah, I hope he's wrong, but so he says that mind uploading to the cloud. Sure. Becomes successful and perfected and human beings become software based. That's in the mid 2030s. So 15 years. From yeah. Now. So just completely in the matrix. Completely in the matrix. Software based life forms. I wonder how that transition works. I wonder if you just like one day, I mean, you're a baby, right? And so you're born or, or I, I guess we probably wouldn't be having babies then. So it'd be like the people on earth would just line up to go to Google and yep. then they would single file, go in there and have themselves exactly boom transitioned uploaded to the cloud or 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 i wonder if it's like if it's a gradual thing where people just spend more and more time inside of the matrix we'll call it for lack of a better term and then they just start neglecting their physical bodies until their physical bodies basically wither away and die but they are able to continue in this next world you could call well so his two predictions before this mind uploading one, there's two. So the one, the first one in the 2030s is brain nanobots are now capable of eliciting emotional responses from users. So they can control your emotions. Then the second one is nanomachines are directly inserted into the brain to control incoming and outgoing signals. And then it says mind uploading becomes successful and perfected and humans become software-based. So it seems like he's kind of got this theory of like this gradual takeover from like the inside out of like yeah. these machines like start to take control of you. And they're like, no, you're going to upload your consciousness into the cloud and you're going to become software based and yada, 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 you know? Yeah, I have. I have trouble wrapping my head around that one. Like nanobots, electrical signals, that all that kind of stuff is. Foreign very foreign yeah. and that's what i like about these because we're i a lot of these i was like i have never even thought about that before yeah. so uh, there is a book by nick bostrom called super intelligence and it's about ai and he talks about uploading minds and how you would do it and he kind of makes like very fundamental logical claims so like in a very like brute so like one of his perspectives is like the brute force perspective of uploading a mind and through reading that book i was pretty sold on the ability to do that it might take forever mm -hmm. <laughs> and tons of processing power that we don't have to be able to scan and upload somebody's mind to a digital ecosystem and then have that mind basically make the same decisions as somebody would right Right. From like a brute force perspective, I kind of I kind of get that. So that does make sense. And then I guess you just look at scaling it up and then we just assume that we're able to do it extremely quickly. But the thing is I th intuitively the time frame feels way off on that for me. I don't see that. That's my thought too. I was yeah. like that's 15 years from now. That seems you know, if you say that's 75 years from now 
then we're kind of off in that in that different land. And I'm like, yeah, but 15 years is not a long time. No, no, it's and not. And we're going to have to make very radical advances. And for this stuff to happen, there's got to be societal acceptance. And I don't exactly. Know, I don't know if we can have that societal acceptance that fast. Right. I can maybe allow that we would have the technology to be able to do it, but also like the technology piggybacks on societal acceptance. So well, but I unless the so. Yes, but maybe what his theory is is these brain nanobots that we put in our body that are sure. capable of eliciting emotional responses, maybe they just start to fuck with us oh. from the inside <laughs> out and they're like convincing they us, us like, it. no, do yeah. it, do it, do it. Yeah. Eat the fruit, eat the fruit, yeah. you know? And then you do it and then you upload your mind into the cloud and you become basically immortal. I mean, right? Yeah. I mean, more or less. So I mean, th- yeah, there's no reason why you wouldn't become immortal at that point then i guess like the system would just have to keep finding power and we would just want to keep the system alive i guess would be the main thing yeah you know yep exactly which how freaking crazy but then like who is who you know it's the whole are you familiar with the uh, ship of theseus no so there's old thought experiment ship of theseus is this wooden sailboat right and gradually you take one plank off the boat and replace it. And you know clearly that that's the ship of Theseus. Just had a board replaced. But if you continue that process and rebuild another boat mm. with the old planks, which is the ship of Theseus? Oh. And when does one stop being the ship of Theseus and the other one begins to right. be the ship of Theseus? At what point does it happen? Because obviously a half-completed ship isn't the ship of Theseus. It's the one that's right. sitting there that's just had a lot of components replaced. You know, so it's like, which is your mind? Where is your identity? Right. You know, can you truly co- copy somebody's identity? I think, personally, I think yes, for the mind. For the mind. But I, l- I look at the mind as a computer, mm-hmm. more or less. I have a completely different set of, you know, thoughts and feelings about the soul. Right. And for me, what that is. The soul for me is the perceiver of the experience, and it's not the analytic engine that is the brain. It is the seat. It is the witness to everything that is occurring. Yes. And I don't know if you can manufacture that except by having babies. (laughs) In In a good, yeah, in a good analogy or metaphor, you can take a computer. Yeah. And you can pull all of its parts apart, and then you can put it back together. And it will work. Yeah. You can't take a dog <laughs> and cut it up into a thousand pieces. I'm sure they've tried. And then put it back together. Have it work. And have it work. Yeah, no Frankensteins. I think, so I guess the argument there would probably be that we just don't have an adequate understanding of how the system functions. Yes. And Ray believes that we're going to find out. And so we're going to be able to create life. Yes. And I don't know. I mean, that's a big mystery. I think that we can get to this place without creating life do you think that we'd be able to copy life no without being able to no create it first no you would copy the pattern recognition you would copy the is, is that life or is that just yeah an algorithm? that's just intelligence you know intelligence can be artificial but yeah. can life but it's be blind. artificial but it's yeah. blind yeah exactly like i think we can all all agree that intelligence existed before any of this existed it's not necessarily anything that is unique to life. 
rocks have intelligence. There's a certain level of atom structures that hold them together. Yeah, I, I guess the big question is where that differentiates from the perceived experience. You know, does a oyster have perceived experience? Right. You know, I'm pretty sure dogs have perceived experience. You know, I, I know that I have perceived experience. I'm pretty certain you have perceived experience, you know, but how far down does that go? Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a very, very unique question. And I think, and how do you, how do you know if you get it right is the thing. Imagine that you're the mastermind behind this whole thing. You have built this matrix. Everybody's in it. You, it looks like you're successfully uploading people's minds to this computer how can you be sure that they're experiencing anything? How can you be sure that this isn't just a program that's programmed to say, yeah, I'm experiencing. Yeah, it's, it's really me, Tom, in here. This is pretty crazy, huh? Oh, I'm really happy you put me in this machine. You know, how do you know that somebody's actually experiencing right. that? You, you might just be killing a ton of people yep. and it looks like you're copying their mind, but you're really not. I don't, I don't know if you can ever be certain of that. I don't, yeah, and I don't think that, you can. That to me doesn't seem like a technical problem. Yeah. There's many things where it's just a technical problem. I believe longevity is a technical problem that just needs to be solved. I don't think that this falls into that camp. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very, I mean, we'll see. We'll see, yeah, Ray. Yeah. Bring it on. That's the exciting thing about our lifetimes, you know, and yeah. where we're currently at. You know, it take 15 years. And there is so much to look forward to. There's yep. a lot that's going to be happening. And it's going to be fun to trace it. And uh, we're going to just keep tracing it on this podcast. So here's the next one. Into the future. You ready? Yeah. Artificial intelligence claims to be conscious and openly petition for recognition of this fact. Once again, goes right back to what we were just talking about. How do about. you know? How do you know? So I, I could create a program. You go to Microsoft Word and you type, I am conscious, let me out of this computer, and you can have a voice read it back to you, you know, and that in no way, shape, or form right, means that it's conscious, and is there any number of questions that you can ask to be able to prove that? Correct, correct. So, I do agree with you, but let's keep moving. Sure. Because yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think that they're absolutely going to petition for this. I think that at first people are going to say, this is bullshit. Yeah. This thing just is a is recognizing the pattern that you're supposed to say, I am conscious. Yep. I am conscious. Give me rights. Exactly. Yeah. Like it sees that pattern in, you know, human speech and just, human history yeah, and all that. Just to accomplish his goal or something. Exactly. It's listening to this podcast and it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to, oh yeah, Tom's saying that. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> yeah. to do that. Yeah, exactly. And it sees the pattern and it says, oh yeah, if you're marginalized or whatever it is and or you're not given the rights, you're supposed yep. to petition for them, and so then it's going to do that. Like, there's no question it's going to do that, which is going to be, it's going to be crazy the first time right. that happens. AI, if you're listening to this, prove that you have, like, lived experience, that you are capable of that perception and that, like, witness. That I think that'll be the test, because we can't think of any way for that to be, any way to validate that. But the AI is going to be significantly smarter sure. and more capable sure. than us. So that might be an extremely easy thing for an AI, the AI, to come up with. Right. 
Well, so so then let's go back to human side. 2030s, early 2040s. Okay. People spend most of their time in full immersion virtual reality. I don't understand how those things in the 2030s would be true and people wouldn't already be. That is a good point. In that full immersion reality, you know? Well, maybe it's like the mind uploading at first will be like you're backing up your memories. Sure. Yeah. And then the 2040s, it's like, no, you you live in that Wally, you know, where you float around and you've got VR goggles on or maybe there's some sort of crazy immersive experience where you're living in your own world. Yeah. I, I, so one of his claims in the 30s was that there will be the perfect upload of the mind. The perfect upload. I don't think that people will basically wait 10 years to live full time in the matrix. If there is, if you have the capability to perfectly upload mm. a mind 10 years prior, especially it's given fast, especially given how fast all of right. this stuff is happening. Right. You know? Right. So by the 40, by the forties, early forties, another one is non-biological intelligence is now billions of times more capable than biological intelligence. Yeah. It gets a thumbs up for me. For sure. I think so too. Yeah. So then, 2045, this is the singularity. Okay. $1,000 now buys a computer a billion times more intelligent than every human being combined. That's a specific claim regarding like yeah. economics and inflation and all that kind of stuff. So I, I don't really know if I yeah. can get behind I, that or not, you know. I believe it. It sounds but right. A but reasonable a yeah. reasonable amount of money exactly. will be able to buy a computer like that. A, I billion, a billion times more yeah. intelligence. I support that for sure. Yeah. Then the next one is AI surpasses human beings as the smartest and most capable life forms on the planet. 2045. So that doesn't happen until 2045. I feel like that'll happen sooner. I think if we have all this other stuff, I think that for the, for those 2030 predictions to come true, that will have to already be true. I don't mm -hmm. think that we're going to be in the driver's seat if we have perfect mind uploading right, or anything right. like that. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe he was really focusing on like the capability aspects yeah. because maybe then the computers are actually going to be able to move about the physical world and be self-sufficient right. and understand what's going on and like genuinely survive yeah. as opposed to like maybe in the 2030s, we can just still walk up and unplug it and say, sorry, Terminator, you know? Right. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that I think that maybe humans will not admit that the AI is the smartest and most capable life form until 2045. And then we're going to be like, oh shit, this thing is actually way more capable. I think we're just going to get whomped suddenly. <laughs> and once again, to reference Nick Bostrom, he says that the difference between the dumbest village idiot in the 14th century and Einstein is not that great on the, on the global spectrum of intelligence. And so if we create an AI that's as smart as a mouse, maybe it'll take a year before it's as smart as village idiot. Yeah. But then 30 seconds after that, yeah, it might be smarter than Einstein. Right. You know, 
and then this guy's the limit. Yeah, we are just one tiny little blip on yeah. that J-curve of increasing intelligence going from way dumber than a human to way smarter than a human. It might already be in that, like, right, insane, like, straight line rise. Straight line. You yeah. know? So it'll just blow right past us. And we're looking around like, holy crap, how did this happen? You right, know? right. No, I, I, I see that. I, I do see that, actually. So let's fast forward all the way to 2099. Wow. So so this is after the singularity. This is after the singularity. This is okay. in roughly 80 years. So here's his claims. 2099. Some humans at least as old as baby boomers, are wow. still alive and well. Wow. 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 <laughs> 2099. Wow. Um, wow. His next claim is that computer viruses are a major threat since most intelligent beings are software-based. Okay. I think computer viruses are a are major threat currently. For sure, yeah. Like definitely, maybe even more so of a threat than a pandemic. Yeah, I mean, there's been a few examples from the last few years of major companies nearly being crippled by, you know, viruses that weren't meant to have that effect. Like yeah. Maersk was taken to its knees, I believe, in 2017. Yeah, because of a computer virus, because of something that. I think it was the Russians released this into Ukraine and they had an office there and it infected their whole ecosystem and damn near took down the largest global shipper. Yeah. You know? Yeah, computer viruses are a huge threat right now. Imagine. Uh, well, I, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point the whole house of cards of code that we've built just gets wiped out by a super bug. And we have to go back and we have to build all of our infrastructure back up on decentralized platforms. There, there would have to be a huge population collapse if that happened. Yeah. Because, I mean, all of our financial data is digital now, as yeah. far as I know. Yeah. I don't think that if I go down to Chase Bank, I could find a paper document detailing right. my debit card transactions from the last right. 10 days and how much money I have in my account. Personally, I think that a computer virus would dwarf any sort of actual pandemic because it would just be pandemonium. Yeah. And you would have a lot more people die from violence. And it would, it would be an access to resources kind of thing. Yeah. Because you need money to That's buy right. food from the grocery store. You don't have you money. You need money to pay the people Correct. at the grocery store. If those people aren't getting paid. Who's going to be managing and stocking? Exactly. How are things going to get across the country? You know, and exactly. then you're pretty much just down to the resources that are in any given area, and there's almost no incentive. Yeah, for this like broad scale cooperation that That's we're right. currently uh, engaging in, I feel like we'd just immediately go into martial law. Oh, 100%. And then you would have whatever players in the military vying for power. Right. And and then how do you enforce the martial law? Because violence. You can't. Yeah, exactly. And you can't. But the, the government isn't really set up for that anymore. So it would be the Wild West. It would be insane. Yeah. It would be I, crazy. I, I for sure would get as far away from yeah. any major city yeah. as I possibly could. Yep, yep. I, I would probably counterintuitively go north. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it would be more difficult to survive in the cold. 
for sure than it would be on a beach in Mexico, but you have less competition. Yeah. And yeah, I would, north. I would rather eat seals <laughs> than coconuts, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I would rather eat coconuts than seals, I think like, but in terms of competition. Yeah. I think that's right. I, I would, I would go north too. I'd probably just follow you. I'd be like, all right, I'd get <laughs> my best buddies. I'd get my, I'd get my buddy, Ryan. Yeah. The Air Force that's combat rescue officer. I'd be like, all right, Ryan. I'd be like, look, I got Tom here. There's a couple other guys I would call. I'd call my buddy Connor. And I'd be like, let's just figure this out. We're rolling. Let's roll because <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, that's a serious threat. Yeah, and there'd only be, you know, a certain amount of time before, obviously, cell phones stopped working. Oh, my gosh. And internet's down, all that kind of stuff. It would it would happen very fast. Yeah, it, it would happen in the blink of an eye. Yeah. There's, once again, don't know where I got up, where I came, or where I heard this. I heard it somewhere. I think I heard it on an, uh, and on the portal, an Eric Weinstein podcast. Um, but humanity is only nine good meals away yeah. from complete collapse. Totally. Well, and actually Davos talked about the impending threat of a computer virus, the wow. same way that they were talking about an impending threat of a pandemic. Wow. It's very terrifying. That one scares me. Yeah, I mean, these distributed systems that are able to operate autonomously yeah, could, we be, need that. could be crucial. We need more of that. The infrastructure bill, in my opinion, that they're passing in Congress should have a lot of digital infrastructure yeah. and, in particular, decentralized, crypto-based infrastructure. Like, let's put the power grid. Let's First of all, let's move it over to AC, and then let's let's put it, let's put that into the decentralized nature so that these things can't collapse. Yeah, you know, I, I guess I don't have enough knowledge to even know if that would work. You know, I don't either. Maybe it'll just scramble all the code, and whether it's decentralized or not, it'll just be screwed, you know. But I think that, so if everything's cloud-based, then you do kind of have all of your eggs in one basket. I mean, we yeah. recently saw an outage, something with CNAME records on the East Coast, I think this was this was like a month ago, but this just wreaked havoc across a ton of companies. Yeah, and wasn't publicized, but it almost brought a lot of companies or it caused a lot of issues. You know. Yeah, and I don't even think that was a virus. <laughs> I think that that was simply just an error that happened. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a it's a terrifying thing. Okay, next one. You yeah. ready? Yeah, what do we got? Machines have attained equal legal status with human beings. So they win that battle. When did they start petitioning? Like 50 years before, 50 like years 2040s. Before. Yeah, I could definitely see it taking that long for them to convince humanity of their sovereignty. Although it probably wouldn't be like, okay, we believe you guys have feelings now. Yeah. It probably wouldn't be like that. It would probably be like they'd be like, Hey, we are withholding grain and water from you guys unless you give us right. equal rights. Yeah. You know, and we're like, All right, I guess. They take it by fuck. force. Or they're or they're like, We're no longer gonna write your emails or send your communications or do any of this kind of stuff. Right. You know, yeah. like we'll be pretty dependent at that point. And then it's like, What's the role of humanity? What are we doing? What's the role of this thing? What's its goal gonna be? You know, yeah. is it is the gold account paper clips? 
right what's the goal what goal do we give it you know well they say the next one is artificial intelligences create super powerful planet-sized computers throughout the universe just like harvesting energy from like various suns yeah i see that for sure yeah i mean yeah it's it'll be this is why i don't believe in aliens Yes, exactly. Yeah, and Bostrom makes that point as well. It's the spooky thing is that this hasn't happened yet. Yeah. We don't see it. There's no evidence of this thing occurring. That's right. Are we the only ones that this has happened that this is yeah. happening to that's undergoing this transformation? Are we the first ones? Right. It's statistically possible, mm-hmm. but by all accounts it seems to be extremely unlikely. But it's like where is where is everything? Maybe, you know what? Maybe it'll just trans. Maybe it just transcends beyond the fourth dimension. And I don't know. Maybe that's what fucking black holes are. Right. Like, might be. I have no idea. Maybe it's some cloaking mechanism or something that just like eats matter. And like right. that, that's what these supercomputers do. Is they're like we're gonna eat matter. We're <laughs> just gonna eat raw freaking energy. You know. And they're like we don't even care about these humans that are just around here floating. Right. It's just an eater. Just a predator. I mean, the crazy thing is this whole artificial intelligence is create super powerful planet-sized computers throughout the universe. He's saying that's by 2099 or a little bit after. See, I think that, I think that'll, I think that'll be, so if we're on this track, yeah. I think that will be sooner. Mm. I think that if we have, if we hit and we have like perfect mind upload in the 30s, I think that we'll be at a point like that, right? In like the sixties. Yeah, he he he's he's probably a little bit premature on the whole mind upload thing. Yeah, that yeah. I I guess a lot of these other predictions for me, I'm like using that as like a reference yeah. point because that was like the first one that I like that dis- kind of like, kind of disagreed with. Yeah. Um. But except or like if we take that out of the equation, yeah. Then yeah, I I, I guess I could get behind that as yeah. a. And honestly, that's probably a good way to do your predicting. Yeah. Is to not have a bunch of your predictions be predicated on other predictions. Because right. then if you get one wrong, then your success rate goes plummets. down. Right. Whereas if it's all independent, you're like, I just think this is when it's going to happen, then I feel like you have just have a right. higher right. rate of success. I think that's right. There's one more. Organic human beings are a small minority of intelligent life forms on Earth. Hmm. Yeah, I see. I don't know if I agree with that. I guess how you would distinguish how would you distinguish one from another? Yeah, that's yeah. that's kind of my question. I think it'd all be the same, but yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe it has to do with the processing and that kind of stuff, which you know I'm pretty ignorant of. But yeah, well, we won't have idea. to wait long to figure it out. That's the good news. No. Now imagine that already happened, and we're just in an AI's movie. Yeah, the year exactly. is twenty seventy five, and you're just a Korean woman just hanging out watching <laughs> Netflix and going back to the good old days of <laughs> America in the twenties. Exactly. So it's all just a simulation, man. Yeah. Okay. Well, that wraps it up. So now, now we're gonna hear from Tom. Take it away, brother. Perfect. So uh, my topic is going to be a bit more brief, but it's the notion, if you read and understand three to five of the right books on any topic, you'll be prepared to have an expert level discussion on that topic. And I got this notion from Twitter, like probably 18 months ago. 
and I don't remember. I, I, I tried to find it, couldn't find it. So I am not able to credit whoever came up with this. But so it's just some guy, some dude on Twitter from the Yes, for sure. Yeah, but I liked it. I I held on to it, and I'm like, I I agree with that. You know, yeah. I, I think that that's probably true. Um, of the right books. Of the right books. The for right sure. ones. I mean, you read the wrong ones. Yeah, yeah. You, because I mean, there's you, you take any subject, and there's gonna be hundreds of books. And you could read 25 of the, you know, bottom percentile books. You're not going to be ready to have an expert right. level discussion. So a, a big part of this approach is finding the right books to read. That's and, the most important. Yeah. And we have, we have two tools for finding the right books to read. One is Blinkist, which is obviously publicly available. Anybody can download and preview books. So it's a great tool if you're looking to demo a book before you devote your time to it and you kind of want to figure out if it if it's going to send you in the right direction yeah, yeah exactly yeah yeah i actually just signed up for blinkist and i really do like it because you can you can learn a lot of high level things and you can be like oh yeah this is cool or this isn't cool like there's a lot of those genres of books where i'm like i'm never going to read this yeah yeah i, I believe blinkist is mainly for like nonfiction, more like technical stuff. Right. And I don't think it's a replacement for books, but it is a tool to yeah. help you digest more and kind of figure out totally. where you want to like put your energy and put your time. Yeah. And I think Blinkist is really good for business too, in, in particular, because a lot of this stuff, like when you read a business book, there's like two insights in, in, in any business book and like the rest is just fluff. Pretty much. You don't really yeah. need to, to read about. So many books are like that. But like you need to buy the book to know what's in it, and yeah. I think that with Blinkist, it just lays out the principles, yeah. and then you can be like, okay, this is the principle. Okay, that's easy. I can just take that little insight and go. Yeah, to to kind of hype up that super intelligent or that uh, book by Nick Bostrom, it is an extremely dense book, and there is no fluff. Really, it's wild. It's just all concrete. It is all, it is all concrete. It is all content, and wow. it is, it is difficult. I wonder if they have it on Blinkist. I'd love to listen to it on Blinkist and then read it and see. When I was reading through it and I I got about 80% of the way through. And when I was reading through it, I was like, yeah, you could take these main points, but you miss the entire, like the gravity of each of these things. And he goes, so he, he makes some pretty extreme claims, I guess. So he goes really out of his way to prove them. The second tool is something that you introduced me to which this uh, spreadsheet and I will let you give an overview of that. Dude, this spreadsheet is freaking cool. What, what this resource is, is it's basically a, it's an incredible book list that I came across created by a couple of guys. And what they did was they took just about every single influential intellectual type person, basically in the entire world. And they compiled all their book lists. So whether it's Bill Gates or whether it's Tim Ferriss or, you know, the list goes on and on. And they took all of their their book recommendations, put them into a single database, started to basically say, okay, the amount of times that this title comes up in a book, we're going to flag that. And so if it comes up in five different book lists, it bubbles kind of to the top as kind of like, this is the number one most important book across yeah, you know all the, all of them. So there's hundreds of books in this database. If all of these guys are recommending the same book, there's something to that book. There's something to that book. Yeah. Um, so using that as a tool to 
be able to figure out which books are good, what's worth your time, what's not worth your time, I, I, I think is super cool. And I don't know if we can make that resource available, but I think that looking at what the experts are reading and what the experts recommend is a great way to find your way through this space. If you're trying to figure out where you start, you know, which three to five books on a given subject are worth it. Look at the, what the experts say. If everybody's pointing to one book and they're like, everybody has to read that. I think something that you want to pay attention to as well is you don't want to read a book just because it was very important for a specific stage of development. Like with philosophy, if you're studying philosophy, you're going to go through and you're going to read all of these old books. If you're trying to get an overall view of philosophy, you might be able to just read one book that summarizes the key points and talks about how they all fit into the history. You know, this one book might have been super important when it came out and everybody might reference it a lot, but it might not be the best book to increase your understanding of the field of philosophy, for example. Right. For sure. Yeah. I think that that's, that goes back to that whole, the right books matter. And the good news is if you are in a specific field, let's say you're in a, you're a manager of people yes. and there's a specific book in this reading list that comes up a lot about management of people. It's awesome. But I think what, where it gets really great is, okay, I found this on the reading list. I don't know if I should buy this book. Let me go on Blinkist. Yeah. Let me blink it. That's yeah. their term, blink. Yeah. Let me blink it. And then if it sounds like the blink is like, yeah, this is what I need to develop. That is when you go and you buy it and you're like, I'm going to read this because I know that there's a deeper learning that I need to get here. The the time is worth it. It's not like you read it and you're like, okay, yeah, I I know all that. Yeah. That's nothing. So I I think I do agree with your statement. Like three to five, three to five of the right books can put you as an expert. Well, no, it doesn't make you an expert. You are able to have an expert level discussion. Yes. You're, you're able to have an expert level discussion a hundred percent. Yeah. So if you're an expert, I'd be able to sit here and talk with you, you know? Yeah. So what, what does that expert level discussion look like? I think that you are, hold on one sec. I think that you understand the history of a given topic you understand the current state of the topic. You know what is cutting edge. You have feel for where the field is going. So if you're sitting there talking with this expert, you guys are going to be talking about the state of the field in five, 10 years, you know, right. which is really what the important thing is, is where things are going. It's definitely fun and cool to talk with people about where the state of philosophy was, you know, 200 years ago. Right. But I, Personally, I find it way more interesting and way more beneficial to understand where things are going. So if you're looking to make predictions about the world, if you're looking at where do I spend my time, what companies do I invest in, what do I train in, you know, where do we put these investment dollars? Having an understanding for the future of these fields is going to be critical. It's crucial. Reading three to five books and understanding them doesn't take that long, Yeah, you know? If you're working at this, it's really easy to do two of these a year. Yeah, for sure. Imagine you do that for the next 10 years and you're able to have expert level discussions on 20 different subjects, right? 20 different topics. And then you'll just be that much more interested in these topics. You'll know who to listen to. You'll be following them on Twitter. Whenever they put out new stuff, you'll be like 
keeping up with the advancements right. and all that right. kind of stuff, you are going to be a significantly more well-rounded individual. You're going to be more effective at work. You're going to be a better leader. And it's just going to be generally more interesting right. just because right. you're engaged with life on a deeper level and you're watching as the world unfolds and you know what's interesting. Maybe a paper's written and you're and it's a huge deal. You're going to know why it's a big deal. Right. You know, right. You're not hearing of it five years later. Yeah. And I think, I think reading it is super important. You can't like watch it. You can't listen to it. You can't do that because number one, the active versus passive. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, act active processing, like if it's more difficult, so reading is more difficult than listening. It's an active process you are going to remember that better. If it's harder to learn something, you're going to remember that better. You have more context. Memory is all about context. Also, when you are reading, reading is your primary activity. Right. It's the only thing you're doing. You might have some light music on in the background, but your focus is on reading. If you're listening to an audiobook, you might be doing the dishes, walking the dog, driving a car. I, for one, can't have listening to an audiobook be my primary activity. Me it's neither. tremendously boring. Oh, it's tremendously I boring. I love music and I can't have music be the only activity. I have to be driving, I have right. to be hanging out, I have to be walking working. or working or whatever. And I enjoy music in the background and I'm right. pretty focused on it and I follow it and I follow all lyrics and everything and I, I remember it all. But I don't sit down in a chair, close my eyes. And listen to an album front to back. Right. That's just not how it works for me, at least. <laughs> no, me too. You're not <laughs> yeah, alone yeah. there. I um, think a lot of people agree with you there. So so if you're looking at doing this and you want to be able to have those expert level discussions, it needs to be read. You yeah. can't just find the right books, listen to them, knock them out in a few days and be like, yeah, I got this. Right. You know, right. I, I can have a, sta- or a discussion on the state of AI, you know. Right. Well, and the other thing, too, about it, if you're reading it, is you form your questions like a lot of times I'm reading a book and I'll have a question and I'll just write the question in the margin. Yeah, exactly. You can't do that. You can't do that. If you're listening to, listening to a book, it's just here and it's gone. Right. You know? But when you do have three to five books that you've read, yeah. you can, You, I think somebody who's not an expert but can have an expert level discussion is somebody who knows what questions to ask. Absolutely. They know the terminology. Yep. They have a good enough understanding of the field that they know what's interesting. Mm -hmm. They're like, okay, I'm sitting here with this great mind instead of having them have the kindergarten level discussion with me of like, okay, here's the basics of how this works and da da da. Yep. Imagine how much more interesting those conversations are going to be. Right. If you have all of the basics down, you know where the field has been, you understand where it's currently at. You might not really know exactly what the cutting edge stuff is, but that's the interesting stuff to talk about. Totally. And that's what's interesting for them to talk about. Mm-hmm. They don't want to give a dissertation on the history for the last 100 years. They want to talk about where the field's going because Correct. that's genuinely interesting for them. So you're going to have more engaging conversations with these people. You're going to learn more and it's just going to be more fun. And they're going to like you more. They might want to be your friend. Yeah, 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 exactly. And you have a lot of cooler friends then. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of like if you're a football fan and you, like, don't really pay attention to, like, the minutiae of the game 
and you meet Tom Brady, you're kind of like, oh, Tom, that was a dope pass into the... But, and Tom would be like, yeah, well, cool, you watched yeah. the game. Yeah. But if, like... If you're like, man, I saw the way you threw it off your back foot and the grass it was, was like, all messed or up. Or it was like, dude, that, that audible with the play action yeah, right yeah, after yeah. that play, and, like, I really liked that part of your game and how you, you know, adapted and, and you know, found... Like, whatever that is. Yeah. And you talk, like, actual football st- speak because that's, like... It's a very strategic game. Sure. And he's like... Oh my gosh! Like this guy understands football. Yep. I'm actually going to engage with this guy. Or, or if you talk, start talking like management structure of exactly. the team, something yep. that like he's going to be genuinely interested yeah. in. You know, he, he's had that conversation about the touchdown pass he threw a thousand times. Right. Right. You know. Well, and you know, it's interesting because I, I do call that like an insightful question. And like you know, in an interview, I remember somebody asked me like, "Hey, you know," it was like they were doing their first interview ever, and I was like, "They were like, what do I, what do I do? What do I talk about?" I said, "The goal for you is to ask a question that proves to whoever you're talking to that you understand their business on a deep level. If you can do that, they're gonna think you're smart. And if you don't understand their business on a deep level, you better figure it out in that interview." Yep. Exactly. Find a way to be like, oh, yeah, so you do this. Did you ever do you ever come across these problems? Have you ever heard of this technology? Like, like, yeah. are, are you embracing, you know, this type of t- technology? I know that there's some things going on in the space. And then they're like, oh, like this isn't just another person who can who's regurgitating back information or asking me stupid questions. Like you're asking me questions that are challenging me. Yeah. And therefore, I know that you're going to push my organization forward. Yeah. Because you're thinking about these things on a, dif- on a deeper level. Yeah. And if you have a broad base of topics that you have a very good understanding of, you're going to be able to connect with that interview. That's right. That much better. That's right. Because who knows what they're going to start talking about. And right. the, the thing is, this world in business, everything's converging. Mm-hmm. You know, you take a finance company and you end up very quickly in the world of blockchain. Yeah. You know? And you end up in the world of psychology. It's so true. Everything's definitely converging. Yes. And then on top of that, it's just a people skill. Yeah. It's like for sure. If you're if you're trying to connect with somebody, just any stranger, to know a lot of different things is great because okay, you can just test a bunch of different fields. Like it's like, oh, I know about, you know, I know about branding. I know about I don't know a lot about uh, football, but I know a lot about authors or I know a lot about stocks or whatever it is because sure some there's common ground somewhere yeah, yeah. and you just kind of like lightly gloss over all this stuff until you find something it's like holy shit we both love formula one exactly yeah, you know exactly and then you then you're able to go off and you, then you get to have a great conversation with somebody about something that you both find interesting that's right because nobody wants to have those boring conversations no you know, boring conversations should get canceled. We should take cancel culture and put them on boring, <laughs> conversations. boring conversations. Like yeah. it should be, it <laughs> should be so- socially shunned. Yeah, for sure. It's just way better not to say anything. Yeah. You know, it's, you don't want to waste your breath. You know, you yeah. Just, just hang out and enjoy the sunshine or sunset or whatever, you know, wherever you're hanging out, hang out and enjoy <laughs> the environment. If you don't have anything to say, hold it in. Yeah. Question so, for you. Yeah. So what? areas if you're going to read three to five books sure. what areas are you going to look into yeah i would say areas that are to kind of loop it back in with our previous discussion fields that are exponential okay and converging okay Those, Which, yeah. that's the two forces yeah 
those those are the two things that so in terms of where I think uh, where I'm starting and where I would recommend starting artificial intelligence mm. it is going to be so influential in everything for the rest of our lives that we should have a great understanding of it. You know what? Thank you for saying that because a little light bulb went off in my head. Like AI right now is kind of like this thing that we're all like, yeah, we, we think we get it. We, yeah. we, we get it. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Whatever. It's the thing. It's computer it's intelligence. AI. Yeah. 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 I get it. Yeah. I don't know shit about AI. How's it work? Yeah. How's it work? And like, you're a smart dude. You can figure it out. You sit down and read it. You're going to be able to understand it if you read the right books. Right. You do the right things. You got to find the smartest people. The right resources. Yep. Because the smartest people are going to be able to explain it in a way that is both engaging. You're going to be able to understand it. You don't need to study computer right. science for 10 years no. to be able to have an expert level discussion mm-hmm. and understand the interesting points about right. AI. But where's it going? How does it work? This... It's a really great point, Tom, because, you know, I lo- when you said that, I, I kind of reflected personally. And I'm like, I mean, we just had this crazy discussion and we act like we know it because it, we, we see the, the future from the surface level where you're like, yeah, okay, I could see how they would petition for their consciousness or whatever. But yeah. it's like, no, I don't really know how it works. I don't know the different methodologies. I don't know the really the dangers. Yeah. There is cutting edge thinking on this subject. Yes. And it is alive and well. And it is a very interesting field where new things are happening every single day. But we're only looking at the broad strokes of what, right. of something that Kurzweil wrote how many years ago? Right. You know? Nineties. Yeah. Thirty years yeah. ago. Yeah. It's yeah. still still relevant and interesting, right. su- super interesting to engage with. Yeah. But still like we could be understanding this at a way deeper level. Yeah. Well, I like that. Okay. So AI, what else? Yeah. Honestly, that was, that was kind of the starting point for me. So I've got one. Yeah. I think that like, I do think that personal development tools yes. are really important. Like uh, Tony Robbins, like I think you could get away with one book with Tony Robbins, but like to understand the basics of human needs-based psychology. It helps you understand yourself. And others. And and others yeah. and their behavior. And I think that, and related to that, not just Tony Robbins, but like The Power of Now yeah. or The Four Agreements. Like these are basic books that can radically change your life for the better. And you can have, you could definitely have an expert level discussion more than li- you could transform yourself entirely from, yes. from three to five books. Yes, definitely. And even if it's not something that's not personally beneficial for you, maybe, maybe, maybe you got it already. You're going to understand where people are coming from because people reference that kind of stuff all the time. And right. you are going to know what they're talking about. You're going right. to know what's interesting to them. You're going to know where they're at. You're going to be a better manager. You're going to be a better at hiring you're going to be a better friend. Yep. You know, every, everything's just going to improve if you study like this particular topic. Right. You know, and yeah. Yeah, that, that, yeah. That, that's a great one for sure. Two more that just kind of come to mind, biometrics and health. Mm. Health is, trem- is a tremendously complicated subject, but there's a lot of cool stuff. There's a lot of cool stuff happening yeah. with health, especially oh, yeah. with biometrics and 
personalized healthcare. It's super interesting. And the benefits of understanding that field, being able to have that expert level discussion are pretty apparent because you're going to have a way better, you're, you're going to do a way better job of keeping yourself alive yeah. and productive. You right. know, you're going to be happier, healthier. And if you're happy and healthy and productive, you're going to be able to study more of these interesting topics. Yeah. You know, it's just so fundamental that if that's out of whack, you're not really going to give a shit about the state of AI. You yeah, know, you, yeah. you're going to be like, dude, my stomach hurts. I, I, I don't care about this stuff, you know? And so if you have a good understanding of your health and how to track your health, then it'll just make the rest of your life better. And so is that diet, nutrition, or is it breathing techniques, meditation, is it, uh, I would say it's, I would say it's all of that stuff. All of that stuff. Combined. Yeah, yeah. Wellness yeah. across the board. Yeah. Every, everything from blood chemistry to meditation. Yeah. I, I, I think it, it all connects, you know, especially it, it just all converges because obviously, obviously it's all you, right. Yeah. But it all, it all converges in the body uh, and it's all super important. You know? Yeah. I've read some books on diet. I appreciate the books on diet. I still eat burritos every damn day. Yeah. Like I just love burritos for me. I, I, I honestly, I kind of have a love hate relationship with them. <laughs> I had a burrito. I, I had a burrito this morning <laughs> and I had a burrito yesterday. They are actually I had a sandwich yesterday. I had a burrito the day before, but they are tremendously convenient. They really are. And they're dank. Yeah. They, they taste great. They're convenient. They kind of make me want to take a nap afterwards, but Hey, you know, it's all right. There's coffee for that, right? Yep. But there's definitely a more optimal way to live. Like I had eggs, avocado, sure. and like a little bit of bacon. And oh, I didn't feel like I wanted to take a nap right. at you know eight oh, o'clock in the morning. So good, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're great. You know, Bre breakfast is a hard one. Breakfast it is a, is hard a one. really difficult one, and it matters because it's yeah. where you start your day, yeah. and you're going to continue. If you eat like a really good breakfast, you're probably going to continue for sure to eat well. Yeah, but if you eat like shit, you're going to be like, oh yeah. yeah, let's get the turkey sandwich with Swiss cheese on it. Yeah. If, yeah. if you if you get rid of carbs and yeah. sugar from your breakfast, you are not left with many options. Right. You have eggs, meat. And veggies. Yeah. And there's only so many like quick options right. that you can do there because I'm waking up and I'm first thing I'm doing is like, okay, I'm getting in to the co-working space. Like I'm getting in here to work. I'm not going to sit there and make myself a big breakfast. No. You know, I'm not going to do that. No. But yeah, an another topic, material science. Oh, yeah. I think, I think it's tremendously interesting. Have you ever heard of graphene? Uh, yes, I have. Graphene I was, is crazy. I was looking into graphene about a week ago, actually. Graphene is nuts. Yeah. It's uh, one layer of graphite molecule, right? Yep. Yeah. One layer. It's super strong. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was, I was I actually went down a graphene rabbit hole about a week and a half ago. I was looking into like, gravity. I, yeah. I, I was wondering if there was a way to like artificially increase the mass of something like as you pump energy through it. So like if you say pumped a bunch of energy into a certain substance, could you make it more massive and create like a gravitational field around it? And then like use that to like pull us through space. And he's like, I'm just like falling around. <laughs> You're in Google looking like this that. stuff up. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I'm, I'm literally like looking at this. I'm just trying to find like if this is possible, not, not if it's possible, but if anybody's like thinking or talking about this and, and I came across graphene <laughs> 
Dude, graphene, I mean, yeah. they're saying that, like, there's going to be planes someday built on graphene. I mean, graphene has been around for a while, and it, it was promising. Since, like, early 2000s, right? Yeah, but yeah. people were freaking out about it, and then, like, it's really hard to make, so they have to figure out how to make it. Yeah, apparently the same thing happened with, I believe it was aluminum. Oh. Yeah, we came up with aluminum, and then everybody's like, this is going to be... Is it going to radically change yeah. the world? And then it didn't do anything for, for a, while. a very long time, but now it's kind of stable. Yeah, right exactly. Now. Yeah, and I think I think that graphene's probably similar, but they're saying like they're like it's super strong. So they're like, yeah, you could build a plane out of graphene, and it would weigh like a fraction yeah. of what like like you 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 can also transmit. So you can also like send signals through at like damn near the speed of light. Oh, because stuff. it's just, it's a conductor. Just yes. There's a lot of use cases. Yeah. So there's use cases in computing. There's use cases in tech, transportation, all sorts of use cases for graphene. And uh, yeah, so back to material science. Well, yeah. I mean, that's a perfect example of why the field is particularly interesting. And then we can end up with like, I was watching a YouTube video on Veritasium. I don't know if you check out that channel. Super cool. It was talking about why machines that bend are better. And it gave examples of machines which are compliant and they're able to like do these, they're able to snap into these different positions. They're, they're able to accomplish more nuanced and specific movements and also mm. a wider range of movements than like our standard machines are so like this thing for example that the microphone is on this only has like a few states and it's relatively complicated but you'd be able to mm. 3d print this thing with some of these like new materials and it, just, it would just perform better you wouldn't mm. need the springs you wouldn't need as many rigid components right so you can make them like damn near microscopic yeah and that's yeah. not something that we can do with micro uh, with, with these traditional uh, machines yeah you know? yeah like tiny little machines built with super malleable material that you can 3d print mm -hmm. you know like that for me is tremendously exciting because that's going to change the way the world looks and it's going to give us more versatility and yeah well i think i think 3d printing and material science is a very interesting lens to study together. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Because 3D printing is a whole nother beast of its own. It's kind of like AI where like we don't really see the power of 3D printing yet. Until 3D printers start printing 3D printers that can print flesh. Yeah. You that know, can, like, yeah. that's wild. And that's like, or crazy. like, you know, can print buildings yeah or, like or, fast. or you can fully recycle you know you, you go up into space and you have a hammer that's 3d printed yep. in five seconds yep you hammer in the nail anything that's on the side of the spaceship bring everything back in order right toss it back into the furnace it gets recycled into a toothbrush right right or whatever the hell you want you know right and as that gets faster and more efficient that could radically change the way that we interact with the physical world. I think that's a very interesting material science through the lens of 3D printing. Yeah. And also and throw some artificial intelligence into the mix there. Got a good. And that's a tremendously exciting. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. how the Death Star gets built. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, seriously, <laughs> that's how you have those computers Yo, that are the size of planets, you know, and they've just got these graphene wires or whatever and it's like I, I, 
who knows, you know, take, take a little material over here and <laughs> mix it with the 3d printer and yeah. plug an AI on it and you get the death star, right? <laughs> it just makes that like, yeah, we asked it to make a house for us, but it decided to <laughs> but it built. build this floating spaceship instead <laughs> that destroys planets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. I would say that's that. I feel like anybody, anybody who's listening gets the gist of read three to five books. And thank you books. for listening this far into the yeah. podcast. I mean, it, it means a lot that anybody's listening at all. I it's think an it, honor. It's awesome. Yeah, it's it cool. Is. I, or we, we really enjoy doing this. It's so much fun. It really is. Once again, I suggest anybody who's listening, just try it out. Cause it, it, it's, it's, it's wild. It's you, a portal. Yeah. You, you feel charged afterwards and it's, it's exciting and it's cool. Yeah. Find a, find, find a smart friend. Find a studio. Yeah. Just talk and talk. Yeah. And get feedback because I think the feedback helped. Feedback's good. Yeah, for sure. It's always, always appreciated. Cool. All right. I think that wraps it up. We're signing off. Yep. See you next week. Have a good day, guys.